uh, welcome you back. And so we are in week 23, week 23 of our sermon series in the book of Mark. And we've entitled that Dirt Roads as we are traveling through you know, Capernaum and we're traveling through, we went through Nazareth a little bit. We've been through Decapolis. We've been through different regions. This Tyre and Sidon last week is where we were. But Jesus spent his three and a half year earthly ministry traveling in those Middle Eastern uh, areas. And that's what we've done. We've, we've taken the book of Mark for what it is. We've tried to stay in that book. We know there are three other uh, gospels that give some details maybe that the book of Mark doesn't give. Um, but we tried to stay in the book of Mark as much as we can. Uh, today's sermon is simply this. It's a snapshot of the earthly ministry of Jesus. A snapshot of the earthly ministry of Jesus. I think you're going to have to pull me all the way out of these monitors, <clears throat> which is fine. I don't need to hear myself. Um, so if you've been here any, any time at all uh, in, our, in our sermon series, you have seen Jesus do different things. And, and if I'm not careful, uh, just being very transparent with you, as I prepare and I, and I, and I uh, get sermons from, from the text and then the Holy Spirit leads me as I prepare, I'll be honest with you, there's a couple of times where I'm kind of like, oh, he healed somebody else. Oh, so there was, a, there was another, okay, there was another blind person that, that now can see. Oh, okay, that's really cool. There was another demon possessed. Oh, there's another child that was death in the bed dying and he raised her or him up and if I'm not careful sometimes the gospels can get a little bit repetitive and so today um, honestly had I taken uh, this entire text and had I preached individually we would have done a little bit of of kind of rehashing some of the miracles but as I studied in context um, as a whole I found that this chapter in chapter 8 there are basically four short stories, and they kind of give us a snapshot of the first eight chapters of the book of Mark. Okay, They kind of tell us, in a nutshell, if you said, Josh, what are four things that have taken place in the book of Mark so far? This chapter, what we're going to talk about today, is kind of a snapshot of that. And certainly we will fly a little uh, 30,000 feet over a few of these. We're not going to dive too deeply in them. But the reason that I do that is because next Sunday, and I'm not just being like the uh, salesman here, uh, I'm not, next Sunday, if you want to go ahead and look at uh, Mark 8, 27, you'll begin to see it. I'm not lying to you. And we're going to go to 26 today. We, t we, are, we begin the pivotal part of the book of Mark next Sunday. Um, it's an incredible, the rest of this chapter and moving into chapter 9, we begin kind of, we, what we're going to see is we've seen all the miracles and all the happenings, and then we, we have Jesus asking Peter next Sunday, uh, who, does that, who does everyone say I am? Well, they say you're the prophets, they say you're this and that, and Peter, he says, well, who do you say I am? And Peter makes that famous quote, you are the Christ, son of the living God. That's next Sunday, we're not there. All I'm saying is we're leading up to that. And then it changes. The book of Mark somewhat changes from there as we kind of begin heading into uh, towards the crucifixion. We start heading in that direction. And so the snapshot of the earthly ministry of Jesus today. This sample size is, 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 is simply an easy way to look at the first seven to eight chapters of the book of Mark and say, here it is in one sermon. I would typically read the entire text to you in one shot, but I'm going to give you a breather this morning, 
and I will read the text as the points come along. So I'm not going to read 26 verses and then reread them later. I'm going to give you a break, even though I, don't, I shouldn't apologize for too much Bible. Um, if you grew up in church like me, you need a lot of Bible to kind of make up for the lack of Bible that you had. So, um, so Bible's a good thing. But for the sake of time and for just clarity today, we're not going to read our text together this morning as a whole. So let's do this. Let's pray together. And let's ask the Lord to help us as we once again look at some of the elements of the book of Mark, but maybe we look at them from fresh perspective today, and, and we, let us pray together that God leads us through this text and gives us what he has for us this morning. Heavenly Father, speak through your word. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us. Illuminate the areas in your word uh, that needed illuminating this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there was one segment of the book of Mark so far that we could see uh, as, as a major part of the book of Mark, it would be number one. I'm going to go directly into our outline today, and that is the forgetful disciples. The forgetful disciples. Let's look at Mark chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, wonderful. If you don't, open up an app. If you don't have either, they'll be on the screen for you. The book of Mark chapter 8, the first verse says, in those days, the multitude being very great and Having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way for some of them have come from afar. By the way, that is a long distance for you Southerners. That's not a fire. All right, anyway. I can say that because I'm from here. All right. Then the disciples answered him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, Jesus asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and, and gave thanks. If you want to shut those back doors, that'd be awesome. Broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away, immediately got in the boat with his disciples, and came to the region of Dominutha. A couple of things that I thought about in here. Number one, these people, for three days, didn't eat. I mean, I went camping this weekend. Y'all knew it was going to come up. Let's just go ahead and get it over with. I went camping this week for the first time in my life. Have I ever? I've never stayed overnight outside of, you know, where there was just like a piece of cloth between me and everything else. Um, and man, we ate good, though. We ate good. I, I can imagine, I, I follow, speaking of the outdoors, since I'm such an outdoorsman, I watched this show called Alone, okay? And if you don't watch Alone on the History Channel, you're missing out. It's the best show on TV. Um, and, and me, I, like I said, I, I'm an indoorsy person. However, Alone is my favorite show. And what they do on Alone is they literally drop you off. You're five miles away from anyone else. You're dropped off. You have nothing. You have no camera. You have no camera crew. You have no producers. They drop you in the middle of nowhere and say, survive. You, you can bring 10 items with you and that's it. And they have, to, they have their own cameras, they man their own cameras, they set up different things. And it's interesting to watch these folks as they go days 
without sustainable food. Um, many of them going you know, over a week or, uh, or further even uh, without sustainable food. And uh, these people, three days without sustainable food, I've got, I'm not going to lie, my kind of internal clock is somewhere between three to five hours, you know? Uh, it's at least time for like a snack and then, you know, possibly a full-fledged meal at five hours. But these people come together and they've been with Jesus for three days and they've had nothing to eat. Obviously, Jesus doesn't want to send them away. He had, verse 2, compassion on the multitude, as is throughout the, the, the book of Mark so far. We have seen the compassionate Savior, the compassion of Jesus. He sees a need. He sees people that are in want, and he wants to fill that need. He wants to fill that, whether it's a, a healing of someone, whether it's provision for, by food, whatever it may be. Jesus sees those needs, and his compassion shines through. And so I see all these things, and this reminds us, this feeding of the 4,000 reminds us of just a couple of chapters ago where Jesus fed the 5,000. And that one, it specifically said there were 5,000 men, and scholars believe that was plus women and children, and so uh, maybe a larger crowd at that time. But he fed 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish, and this, seems, this miracle seems to be fairly parallel to that, and it's very true that it is. However, there are most definitely some differences between the two miracles. And some, some skeptical scholars have said, hey, no, this is just a repeat. This is just a retelling of the same story. And let me give you this morning why that's not the case. The feeding of the 5,000 were 5,000 men. The feeding of the 4,000 was 4,000 people total. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000 was five loaves and two fish. And the Bible says the feeding of the 4,000 included seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. We're not sure the exact number there. The feeding of the 5,000, we see that they were one day in the wilderness with Jesus. And here in the 4,000, they were four days, uh, sorry, three days in the wilderness. The feeding of the 5,000, it was very specific, north of Galilee, the time of year, springtime. There's no mention of the time of year here for the 4,000, and this one was southeast of Galilee, so on the other side. The Remainder in the feeding of the 5,000, 12 baskets full of leftovers, one per disciple, by the way. Uh, the feeding of the 4,000, seven baskets full of leftovers. Feeding of the 5,000, there was one prayer that was made. The feeding of the 4,000, there were two prayers that were made. And then possibly the most important, even though I'm not going to hang my hat here, the feeding of the 5,000 was mostly to the Jews. The feeding of the 4,000, mostly to the Gentiles. He was still in that Decapolis region. Um, I believe, firmly believe, as we mentioned in the last couple of weeks, Jesus came for the Jews, primarily for the Jews. However, he was getting closer and closer to his crucifixion, and he began to, to make it obvious that he wasn't just coming for the Jews, that he was also coming for the entire world. And if you're not a Jew, nationalistic Jew here this morning, that means he came for us. That means he came for you. And I praise the Lord for that, that Jesus was not merely the king of the Jews, but that he was also the king of the world. He was the king of the Gentiles, and that he, he sent uh, uh, Paul, and he, he sent others, the apostles, out to reach the Gentiles. But why would Mark sense the need to record both of these miracles? Obviously, Peter is giving Mark kind of the eyewitness perspective. And I want to highlight a question that the disciples asked Jesus after he presents this problem of a large group of people with no food. 
Okay, think with me. Two chapters ago, which is not very long ago in real time, there were people that were needy, needing food. Jesus solves the problem. We have a boy here. He's had a bag lunch, five loaves, two fishes. They feed the multitude, and there's leftovers. That happened two chapters ago in our Bible, not many days prior in real time. In Mark chapter 8 and verse 4, the question Jesus asked is simply this. Or I'm sorry, the disciples ask, I'm sorry. How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Merely days after witnessing Jesus feed 5,000 men plus. The almost exact same predicament and problem comes up with even fewer people. And the disciples don't respond with, oh, Jesus, I've seen you move. You move the mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it. They don't sing that Elevation Worship song. It wasn't out then. But, uh, but they, they don't sing that. They don't see, say, God, we've seen you do it, and now you're going to do it again. Man, here we are just a few days later. Let's do no, they go, hey, God, hey, Jesus, how are we going to feed all these people? How are we going to feed all these people? It's merely days from one of the most popular, well-known miracles in Scripture. And they should have come to him and said, Master, we watched you days ago feed a larger crowd than this. Here's another opportunity. How would you like us to proceed? How would you like us to proceed? That's not what happened here. The only thing that I can take away from this is that the disciples simply, and I don't mean forgetful and like, a, oh, I forgot he fed 5,000 men the other day. I don't, I don't, I believe maybe the word should be unaware. The lack of awareness of what Jesus just did in front of their lives. Maybe they actually forgot it, but that's unlikely this morning. I believe that they certainly did not concentrate comprehend and were not aware of what Jesus had simply done. When faced with familiar circumstances, they forgot to trust in what Jesus had made familiar. And that was miracle working. To give you a quote this morning to think through and to maybe uh, tag along with to this point, God's past provision propels future faith. God's past provision pro propels future faith. This morning, if God has done it, then he can still do it. And ladies and gentlemen, this morning, may we not forget. God, I've got a, I've got a problem in my life and I've got this situation. And, and God, this, this one, oh man, I've never faced anything exactly like this. And God may look at you and go, yeah, maybe, maybe you haven't. But I promise you I have. Maybe you haven't, but I promise you that sister so-and-so over there has. And that family over there has much, much greater than you were facing it. And we forget. We forget. May I say this this morning very clearly? God has, God is, and God will. We can take it to the bank this morning. But the disciples were forgetful. The disciples, instead of coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, we've seen you feed 
more than this. Do it again. Instead, they go, Jesus, what are we going to do? These people are hungry. What are are we going to do? There are certainly other themes in this text that we could pull from his Jesus' compassion, Jesus' provision, Jesus' satisfaction. But I told you we weren't going to dive deep into each of these stories. But needless to say, a theme that we've seen early on in the book of Mark is the fact that the disciples seemed to be forgetful. They seemed to be unaware. And may I say this, they were also the closest to Jesus. And may we not be guilty of the same this morning. May we not be guilty of being close to the action, yet so forgetful of what Jesus really is doing. Secondly, a second theme that we see in this text that we have seen throughout the the, uh, beginning of the book of Mark is secondly, the rejecting Pharisees. The forgetful disciples and now secondly, the rejecting Pharisees. Mark seems to abruptly take us to yet another Pharisee-initiated conflict. And certainly, the Pharisees and their conflict and questioning and skepticism has been a major theme so far in the Gospels. Jesus can't hardly do anything without the Pharisees coming in at the end and going, hey, but you did that on the Sabbath. Hey, but you broke this ceremonial law. Hey, but you, but you, but you, but you. And the the Pharisees uh, have have kind of made their name right now in questioning and rejection. But Mark chapter 8, look at verse 11, the very next verse as we continue through the text this morning. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him. Classic, typical. Seeking from him a sign from heaven. Testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit. By the way, those emotions that Jesus, man, they seem to be just uh, more pronounced when he's dealing with the Pharisees than with any other group of people. Notice the, notice the terminology here. Now, I'm not sure what the version that you say, uh, what your reading says, but he sighed deeply in his spirit. And he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Surely I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. This reminds me of Satan's temptation of Jesus. You remember at the very beginning, the outset of Jesus' earthly ministry? Satan basically challenged Jesus, hey, throw yourself off this mountain. He challenges, hey, show us a sign. It's almost like Satan said, hey, perform, perform, monkey. That's what I paid you to do. Do do your job. Let's see it. All you are is a gimmick. It's like a circus, kind of a sideshow here. And it's kind of the same attitude and spirit that I feel like the Pharisees come with. Hey, hey, Jesus, can you do one of those backflips again? Hey, Jesus, real quick, can you you just like think something and maybe like look to the right and maybe someone over there will get healed? It was, a, it was a challenge question. It was a question not coming from the, from the heart of belief, but it was a question coming from a heart of rejection. At the very best, a heart of skepticism and questioning. Jesus didn't perform for Satan in the wilderness, and he's not about to begin performing for them now. The key element that we have seen Jesus respond to over and over and over again so far in his earthly ministry is one word. Jesus responds to faith. 
He responds to faith. And faith is believing without seeing. I'm about to be very practical with you this morning. Okay? Almost like too elementary here. But I want us to understand this. Faith, which Jesus responds to in a very positive way. He commended the faith of the lady last week. He responds very well to faith. Faith is believing without seeing. So if Jesus were to show these signs on demand to to Satan himself, to the Pharisees, he would be removing the essential element that they must have in order to be a follower of Jesus. And what is that essential element? Faith. Listen, if I walked up to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, do the thing. Do it now. And he did it. I'm watching it with my eyes. That removes the whole element that he's looking for. He's looking for faith. He's looking for you to say, okay, I don't know what's on the other side, but I'm going to, I'm not really going to do it, but I'm going to take a step off. I don't know what's down there. He's waiting for you to be the the six-year-old at the pool on the diving board. Sorry. On the diving board. He's waiting for you to be that kid. You know, and you're the dad. There's no kids, not many kids in here, okay. If there are, just turn me off for 30 seconds. You're the dad, and you're like, I'm going to catch you, right? And if you're a dad like me, what are you really thinking? No, I'm going to let you. You're going to jump, and I'm going to let you fall, and then I'm going to catch you. But you got to hit that water, right? You know, I'm going to let you hit that water for just a second because you need to feel what it feels like. Anybody else parent like me? No? Y'all a bunch of good parents? Okay, there you go. Thank you, Nicole. Look, I'm not that parent that's like, jump, I'm going to catch you. And like when your kid jumps, you jump high and you catch him and like bring him and they never touch the water. No, I'm like, you jump. And then I step back as they go in and then I grab them. Maybe, maybe this shouldn't be a parenting. This is, this is not parenting advice this morning. But as that kid's... On the diving board, you ever been there? Kids there? And then you're like, they're like, that knee starts jerking. And then you try to do the countdown, and it never works, by the way. Countdown doesn't work. All right, ready, I'm going to count. Three, two, and there's that freeze, right? There's that freeze moment. You know, at the end of the day, there's just that element of like, okay. Let's see what happens. And here's what my kids did know, even though I was a terrible parent. Dad's in there. Dad's there. My father is in the pool. Now, whether he lets, whether he lets me go under for a little bit or not, my father is in the pool. And may I say, as Jesus was in his living his earthly ministry out, as he was performing those miracles, as he was seeking people and, and finding people, The step was, I know the Father is in the pool. That's the step of faith. The step of faith is not knowing how deep it is. It's not knowing how high you can jump off that diving board. It's not knowing if your your vest that you have on is rated properly for your weight. I have to start looking at those things sometimes, you know. No, it's my Father's in the pool. My Father's in the pool. And by faith, guess what, man? I'm jumping in. That's faith. Faith is taking that step without seeing. And Jesus is, is saying here to, to, the, to, the, to the faithless, to the unbelieving, to the questioning, to the antagonistic Pharisees, Jesus is saying, if I performed when you told me to perform, I would be removing the actual element 
that is needed for you to believe in me. This morning, may I say this? If you feel like you're walking blindly, if you feel like you don't know where your next step is going to land you, may I say that that is where the word faith kicks in. Listen, if we knew, it would require no faith. Let me say that again. If we knew, it would require no faith. I'm looking around here at different people this morning with different lives and different things going on in your lives. I'm looking at, at, at parents of young children this morning and you're like, I've not done this before and, and, and man, I'm taking this step and I have no idea where this is going to land me. I'm looking at, at people who are bosses at their job and, and maybe they work in, in kind of the corporate world and they're like, we're about to make this decision as a company and I'm not exactly sure where it's going to land us. I'm looking at maybe small business owners who say, we're about to take a risk and we're going to buy this, this property or we're going to buy this piece of equipment and I'm not sure where it's going to land us or how it's going to work. Listen, if you knew, it would require no faith. But the fact that you don't know the future, the fact that you don't know where that step is going to take you this morning, it requires faith. It requires faith, and Jesus wasn't about to remove the one element that it took for these Pharisees to follow him, and that was faith. Hey, may we just stop being the Christians that go, hey, God, I need you to show off in order for me to believe you. God, I need you to answer right now, perform, do your thing right now in order for me to trust you. Now listen, he's done it, forgetful disciples. He's done it. Take the step. Take the step. Jesus is not going to remove the element that, that is required for you to follow him, and that element is faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please him. And so we've seen the forgetful Pharisees. We've, I'm sorry, the forgetful disciples. We've seen the rejecting Pharisees. Thirdly, back to the disciples. It was a big major part of Jesus' earthly ministry, the misunderstanding disciples. The Pharisees weren't the only ones who struggled sometimes understanding what Jesus was saying. Those that followed him closely, those who who traveled with him, those who were in his inner circle, so often struggled understanding. And it may be one of the most frustrating themes of Scripture. Both the children of Israel in the Old Testament that seem to always go in these cycles of like, I trust you, you come through, I stop trusting you, things get bad. I trust you, you come through, I stop trusting you, things get bad. Well, listen, it's kind of the same thing in the disciples, uh, with the disciples. Jesus performs miracles and they see all these things happen and they still don't comprehend. Here's an area where Jesus is speaking to them in the spiritual and they think he's speaking to them in the physical. Look at verse 13 in Mark chapter 8. Once again, we're taking 30,000 foot views here for this chapter, not digging completely into every one of these texts fully. Verse 13, and he left them and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. By the way, there's, I mean, we want to say practically, they had seven baskets of leftover bread from the feeding of the 4,000, and they forgot. I'm not going to lie. If I'm going on a trip, I'm not forgetting the food. I might forget other things. I'm not forgetting the bread. But he charged them, verse, 16, verse 15, saying, take heed, beware of the leaven 
of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. And so he said to them, how, uh, how is it you do not understand? Jesus displays here what I like to call holy frustration with his disciples. Jesus never sinned. But I full well believe that Jesus oftentimes found himself kind of like, <sighs> frustration. Jesus was fairly obviously speaking in the spiritual realm. He was, what he was doing is he was using a physical situation that the disciples found themselves in. And he was giving them a pretty practical spiritual application to it. And they were not spiritually minded in, the, in this moment. They were definitely carnally minded, but they were not, they were not physically, uh, they were not spiritually minded. Jesus was using their issue of not having bread as a launching pad, but it was obvious here that he was not speaking of physical bread. Jesus is giving them a warning about the evil teaching of the Pharisees and the power-hungry Herod. I mean, it's not like Jesus was saying, hey man, you didn't go to Herod's bakery before you left. He's not speaking in the physical Jesus is saying, I'm going to use your physical situation right now to teach you a spiritual lesson. Beware of the leaven. Beware of the, the evil. He's giving them a warning. And the disciples here were showing their carnality and their spiritual immaturity here and their lack of discernment. And, and Jesus uses the term leaven. Sometimes, Barclay says this, not Charles, but Barclay says this, the Jew used the word leaven as much as we would use the term original sin or the natural evil of human nature, leaven was synonymous with evil, with wickedness, and Jesus was warning them of the evil and the wickedness of the day. But they were not spiritually discerned. Boy, has this not been a theme of the earthly ministry of Jesus. I'm trying to teach you something spiritual. I'm trying to teach you something high and holy. And man, we're just focused on the physical. I'm trying to teach you something eternal. And boy, are we just focused on the temporary. I'm trying to teach you something that will literally last forever. And boy, are we stuck on the things that will fade away. May you and I not find ourselves this morning missing the truth of Jesus, the spiritual truth, due to our carnality and our refusal to understand the spiritual that Jesus is trying to teach us. And we're taking a snapshot, remember, of the first seven chapters, eight chapters of this book, and we would be remiss to not close with the fourth point this morning. I say that as a pastor's son, I understand what it means when a, when a pastor says we're closing, but we are closing for real. 
Fourthly and finally this morning, a snapshot of what we've seen so far in the life of Jesus. We see the miracle-working Jesus. The miracle-working Jesus. Verse 22, continuing next verse in our text. That he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. By the way, that's another theme that we're not going to highlight. Jesus oftentimes healed and said, shh. Very few, fewer times he said heal and go tell everybody. Most of the time he healed and said, chill, keep your mouth shut. By the way, I see men like trees walking. I'm not, I will not be deep diving on that today. Uh, some, in my opinion, some kind of meaningless theological um, uh, debates come up out of that. There's no reason to really even dive into that this morning because it doesn't matter to the story. But if you're like me, as I mentioned in the beginning, even the incredible awe-inspiring, impossible miracles can sometimes get monotonous as we study through the Gospels. And by the way, we do know and we remember that Jesus majored on his message over his miracles. We know that. But that does not take away from the incredible nature of the healings and miracles that Jesus performed. And we once again... See, Jesus responding to simple faith with an amazing miracle. He responds this time to the simple faith of some more nameless people. We don't know who these folks are, but all we know is that they brought a blind man to him and they begged Jesus to touch him. They begged Jesus to touch him. Remember this and remember this well this morning. Jesus responds in big ways to simple acts of faith. I've said it 30 times in these, in these 23 weeks. 30 plus now that I think about it. Jesus responds in big ways to simple acts of faith this morning. Why won't I show you a sign, Pharisees? Because I want to see your faith. Why won't I illuminate every detail about your life ahead of you, Christian? Because I want to see your faith. And Jesus responds in supernatural, big, spiritual ways to simple acts of faith. God, I don't know the answer. I don't know where this is going to land me, but by faith, I give it to you. God, I don't know where this meeting that I'm having this week at my work, I don't know where it's going to land me. Good, bad, somewhere in between, I don't know. But I can promise you this, God, I'm, I give it. I give you my future. I give you, I give it over. God, I don't know where this conversation with that person is 
going to take me, and I don't know what's going to happen as a result of it, but by faith, I'm going to give that to you, that relationship or that situation I'm about to walk through. We have two newborn babies in our church. Cora is here today. What's up? <clears throat> and then CT and Mandy have just recently had Charlotte, Cora and Charlotte. Those are my two favorite church members, by the way. I just I don't play favorites, but the youngest two babies in the church, they are my favorite church members. But as parents, right? I think about as parents. Listen, I... God, you can, you can have it. Parenting is the only thing that like, you, you have no idea about, and then by the time you think you got it figured out, your kids are grown, right? It's not like you're like, oh, let's try this like, 10-year-old thing again. It doesn't happen. Faith. Faith. God responds in big ways to simple acts of faith. And may I say this morning that we can bring our needs, we can bring the needs of others, we can bring the situations in our lives we can, that seem impossible, those things that seem far-fetched, those same things that seem out of reach. We can bring all of those to Jesus this morning, and we can lay them at his feet. And I believe that in his sovereignty, he's, he's already got it figured out. Now, it may not be the answer that we want. It may not be in the time that we want it to happen. There may be some nuances there. God is not Santa Claus. Okay? It's not like, you know, he sees me when you're sleeping, knows when you're awake, knows if you're bad or good, be good for goodness sake, and tell him exactly what you want, and it'll be there. Buddy the elf will drop it off on December 25th. That's not God. But God in his sovereignty, he knows, he hears, his plan is perfect, his plan is good. And man, if we'll just live by faith, he wants to work those incredible things in our lives. He wants to do those things. He wants to give you peace of mind this morning. He wants to give you uh, the things that are good. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8. He can heal your diseases. He can cleanse your wounds. He can heal your past. He can bring light to your darkness. We can bring ourselves to Jesus. Blind death, hurting, and Jesus can heal. Jesus can heal. I believe firmly Jesus heals physically at his own desire, at his own will. I believe Jesus heals physically, but I believe that, I believe that healing is much, much, much deeper. There's some of us in this room here that have past hurts and we have mistakes and regrets and things in our past that we've yet to allow him to heal. We think things we hold on to. We have a healing savior this morning. Snapshot and we're done. Forgetful disciples. Maybe not forget. I've seen you move mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. Maybe not forget. Maybe not be unaware. Rejecting Pharisees. Show us a sign. Not from a believing heart, but from a rejecting heart. A skeptical heart. No. The rejecting Pharisees that always challenged and questioned. Jesus dealt harshly 
to Pharisees, misunderstanding disciples. Jesus says, I'm trying to teach you something spiritual, but you are not thinking spiritually. You are thinking in dollars and cents, and I'm thinking eternal rewards. Okay, you're thinking in the physical. I am thinking in the spiritual. You're thinking in the temporary. I'm thinking in the eternal. And then incredibly, the miracle-working Jesus. Faith applied. And the miracle took place. These have all been prevalent in our study so far. And maybe the theme is most people just don't get it sometimes. Whether it's a Pharisee, whether it's a disciple. Most people don't get it. But there are the few. The faith, the faithful. The faith-empowered. The possessors of faith. They get it. They get it. They live the life of faith. They comprehend the spiritual. They allow the Holy Spirit to lead them into the eternal truths instead of only focusing on the temporary. They lead, they let the Holy Spirit lead them into thinking eternal riches than just thinking, balancing my physical checkbook. These people, this life of faith, I believe, that the earthly ministry of Jesus highlights people of faith. May we not forget May we not be faithless. May we be full of faith. As we move to next Sunday, as we move to a, a shift in the book of Mark, may we take this truth away, and I'm done. Jesus was most about his message, most about his message, but he often delivered his message on the platter of meeting the needs of those with faith. It was all about his message. But he often delivered his message on the platter of meeting needs of those with faith. What about you this morning? It's a simple message today. There was no earth-shattering truth today. But there were several themes, four different themes. What is it for you? Are you maybe the one who thinks about the temporary and not the eternal? Do you get so caught up in this life and what we're doing here and, and winning the race, the American dream, whatever it may be? Do we get so caught up in that that we miss the temper? Do we misunderstand? Are we the rejecting Pharisee who's like, Jesus, you need to show off for me before I'm going to believe in you. I need to see something else, God, you, before I... Are we forgetful? Man, God's done so much good in your life. He's been there for you. You forget? I don't know what it is for you. But I will say this, if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, hey, without faith it is impossible to please him. And guess what? I got even, even worse news for you. In your sin, it is impossible for you to please God. In your sin. The whole reason why Jesus came and where we're going to head is he came to die. He didn't come to be a king. He didn't come to rule and reign. No, he came to die. And he came to die for sin, and sin originated back in the very beginning. The first two human beings, 
the sin that Adam and Eve committed. And from that point on, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 tells us that because of Adam and the sin that was committed in the garden, that all of us are born with a sinful nature. You're born with a sinful nature, and I'm born with a sinful nature. There's nothing we can do about it. If you're a parent of young children, you know that your kids were born with a sinful nature. No matter how good you lie to yourself about them, they were, they're little sinners, all right? Born with a sinful nature. And there's a price that's got to be paid. The Bible tells us this, this is uncomfortable in Romans chapter 6. The Bible tells us that there's a wage, there's a, there's a payment that's needed for sin. And that payment is death. Man, I, I hate that. But the payment of sin is death, and of course we have physical death here. Everybody will physically die, but the death they were referring to in the book of Romans is that death of the, the, the relationship with you and your creator, God. When it happened to Adam and Eve, God used to come down every day and fellowship with them and walk with them in the garden. And because of sin, that didn't happen anymore. There was a death of that relationship with your creator, and the wages of sin is a death between you and your creator. There's a void there. And left unchecked, that void will go on for eternity in a place called hell. But God, Romans 5, verse 8, he demonstrated. He wanted to show, he wanted to project his love. He wanted everybody to see his love for you and for me, that God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, like we were born into, Christ died for us. He didn't just die, he was buried, and three days later he rose again. Easter Sunday, we celebrate it, but we really celebrate it every Sunday. He rose again to show his victory over death, to show his victory over sin, and to show that you and I can live an abundant, free, incredible life in Christ. Have you believed in faith? Jesus came preaching, repent and believe the good news, the gospel. Have you believed? Have you believed on the name of the Son of God? Some of us say, oh, yeah, 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 I know about that. May I, may I ask you this? Has your belief gone from like an academic knowledge to a real heart relationship? I guess that's the question. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.